Welcome to the heartland of America, as the World Wrestling Federation presents the first ever King of the Ring extravaganza. Tonight, eight of the toughest superstars of the WWF will bang heads in a grueling single elimination tournament to determine once and for all who is the King of the Ring. Hey there, folks. Welcome to Talking Attorneys number 17? Yeah. Is that right? That's wow. right. Brought to you by Panera's Charged Lemonade. I am one of your hosts, Sam DiMaggio, and with me, per usual, Dan Rice. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It is a Thursday evening recording we had some last minute changes of plans but we're getting to a podcast that we've already recorded before and that is discussing our top performers in tournaments from the tournaments we've seen so far on talking tourneys there was likely a much simpler way to say that but i used as many words as possible to get to that conclusion dan how do you feel about redoing this podcast? I'm pretty excited about it. First off, I'd like to say I like our podcast. There's 17 episodes. We always announce what's next. We've been right at least 10 times. Uh, <laughs> there's been a couple changes. We'll, we'll but, get to it eventually. But since we've done this episode and deleted, correct me if I'm wrong, we've reviewed 1992 G1, yes. Survivor Series 98, WWE Inception, Bingo. and that's it. So really some all-star cast list of performances yeah we're not adding some we're not adding any great names to our list i have a which s- i would have thought revisiting it three after three tournaments later would have changed it 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 did not yes so for myself and dan we all we're going to be redoing a lot of the conversations we did but luckily for both of us we have very poor memories so i think oh, yeah. this is going to be mostly fresh for us and i did i did swap some people around that's that's wild. Which, I was thinking about I, it, but I know I can tell you at least one of them. I think is based on our last episode. I think you talked enough about this person to get them on the list. We'll I, get to it, but I don't remember what you said. But like I remember, I looked at his name and I had like positive feelings. We talked about my memory is only just emotions. I'm like, oh, good, he's good. He goes yeah. here. He's made it. 
Move them up. Okay. So I don't remember how we did this last time, but what I'm thinking about for this episode is, oh, we'll start with our honorable mentions. We'll get through like some folks that, like, hey, they're not making the top 10 here, but let's give them a little, little shout out to say, hello, how you doing? Okay. I personally had three honorable mentions. Um, first one is Ian Rodden pretty, for the first MAW tournament. Basically, completely for his role in that CM Punk match. Okay. I thought he was so good. Not enough to get in the top 10, and there wasn't much else in that tournament. In fact, he lost that match, right? So that's his only match in that tournament, but I thought he deserved mention. Same thing with Vader. He was very short-lived in the Nintendo Top 10 Challenge, but everything he did ruled. So he gets a shout-out. And then Trevor Lee... Uh, was a workhorse in the PWG DDT tournament we covered. I agree. I agree. So my honorable mentions include Green Phantom for his match <laughs> against Necro Butcher in Tournament of Death 3. That's a good call out. Hans Neiman from Mega Battle. Oh, we'll talk about him. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. 1994. We'll get him doing a little bit more later. Bret Hart from King of the Ring 1993. And the one and only Double J, Jeff Jarrett from WWE Seven Deadly Sins. Tournament. That feels like you really just wanted someone from the last three episodes. Uh I I didn't. I did not. I did not feel compelled to include someone. But the more I thought, I was like, you know what? I don't have like a political masterstroke on the list really at all. And he feels like the closest thing to that vibe. And I had to give it to him, had to hand it to him. He goes into someone's backyard, beats Nathan Jones, their local hero. Like it's nobody's <laughs> business. I Makes think it's amazing. Like a fool. Makes him look like a fool. It's great. It's great. Gets to man event the show. Gets and there the- was something about, from a physical and even effort standpoint, he was a clearly professional wrestler, which is not true for, I would say, even half the show that night. Oh, correct. Correct. Absolutely. So that, that like, makes you stand out. Yeah. Yep, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I have I have no issues with any of those nominations. In fact, two of them make we'll my top about. ten. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Dan, do you want me to start or do you want to start? Well, I'm going to say my number ten, I'm pretty sure you're going to have higher. My number ten is Mr. Perfect. Correct. I will have higher. Okay. So why don't you use some of your number 10 then? Trevor Lee and Andrew oh. Everett from DT4 2015. I decided to include them in as one entry just because it was a tag team tournament. For me, this was not a great tournament, but every match that they had, I found to be a real who, a real joy. Uh, even if it wasn't a great match, it was really strong performances from those two. So I can't hate. I can't hate one bit. So I felt they kind of earned their spot, at least in the, the top 10, uh, as far as our performances go. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I thought, I mean, if you're going to keep him as a tag team, I would have had him as a honorable mention. I just thought Trevor Lee was clearly the best worker on the team. Um we both had issues with the booking of that tournament and some of the wrestling, but it was designed to get 
those two over, and I mean they they worked like it was. Yeah, I feel like it could have definitely felt fallen apart if specifically, like you said, Trevor Lee didn't rise to the occasion. Uh, it could have felt very hollow. You know what? It didn't. It felt like okay, at least the effort was there, if nothing else. But Trevor Lee like feels like a real bummer. He's not going to go down as one of the great wrestlers of our generation, of his generation. Yeah, it feels like he has like I, I don't. I mean, my memory is just so crap. But I mean, what is it like a three year stretch there on the Indies where he was a super worker, and now he's been in witness protection for so long that I don't even. I don't know what he's up to. Yeah, no idea. Couldn't tell you. He does something with money. At one point, he might have moved on completely from that gimmick of being a Ted DiBiase-esque. That might not be a fair comparison to what he was doing. Ugh, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I mean, tell me if you think this is too like lofty of a comparison, but I think there's a point where he could have had like a Chris Hero trajectory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, maybe a... Danielson light. Yeah. And who knows? Like, frankly, this is, I, very I don't know in the current incarnation of WWE, if a career like that is possible. Yes, that is, that is incredibly fair. And <laughs> there's not in, like an indie space for him to occupy that space. There's not a lot of, it's true. Not a lot of places for someone to kind of rise through the ranks in that manner and have sustained. rise. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's my number 10. You've done your number 10. Dan, do you want to give me your number nine? I have Psycho Clown from the Triple Mania tournament last year. The Roulette de la Morte. There it is. Ernio. Hit me with it, Dan. He is wrestling men who their average age is, you can fact check this, 112. And he's out there. I mean basically wrestling himself and he pulls it off. Like he's, he's amazing in all of it. Um, I, uh, I went in that tournament with pretty lofty expectations and I liked a lot of it, but it was very clear that some of the guys in it, uh, connect, uh, Rayo de Alistico. I mean, they just weren't physically up to the challenge and, I mean, Psycho Clown went in there with Kinect and, like I said, wrestled himself, and that match was enjoyable. And it was all because of one guy. Like, the Ric Flair broomstick thing is overplayed, but this was that. He could have had that match with anybody, and it was awesome. I think it's important to note, you were embellishing of when you say 112. Yeah. But for his two matches, the combined age was for the two wrestlers he faced was 115. That is that is old, Dan. That can yeah. still be very old. I and, I feel like that might even be you might be wrong. That might be too low. I don't know. Because connects 70. I yeah. mean I guess he was 69 then. Do he have how many matches does he have? He connect and Volano four. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Okay, so yeah, he that must be 130 20 something. Yeah, yeah. And I will say, I mean, also exaggerated because Volano four was that was his tournament, like he came to make an impression. And you know, Clown didn't wrestle 
Ultimo Dragon or El Rayo de Helistico, but he, but like he, you know, in spirit, he was in tournament with these old guys who were there to almost certainly just cash a check. And it doesn't matter who you put him in there with, Psycho Clown was going to give a triple, a triple mania performance. Yeah, he busts his butt throughout the, throughout the dang thing. Yeah. That's when, that's when. Who's your number nine? My number nine is the one and only Toruyano from the New Japan Pro Wrestling Intercontinental Title Tournament from 2011. Me, he was, he was the whole thing. He made this tournament watchable by and large. What certainly was not MVP, let me tell you. If anything, the worst match he has in the tournament is against is in the finals against MVP. But he essentially works his own little arc in the tournament with the sequences of moves he does and everything like that, uh, which to me is very funny just because it is unlikely that everyone, all the fans in attendance are seeing these matches to be able to piece together the story being told. And this is way before live streaming was a thing. So you're just not getting any of that unless you're watching after the fact of what he's doing to kind of piece together his like progression of getting his opponents over throughout. It's like, okay, what worked against Dan Moff now no longer works against uh, Yujiro. Okay, he's a, he's an upgrade over that. Then whatever he did against both Yujiro and Dan Moff doesn't work against MVP. All right, can't seal the deal. Doesn't have more tools in his toolbox. But this is a nice little story he had. And just like during this period, he was so incredibly entertaining. He didn't go full blown comedy wrestler by this point. Like he still felt like an impactful part of the New Japan roster in some way. Uh, I mean, I have no problem with that. I mean, he probably, he maybe should have made, made it to my turn or my list just because he is such a big part of that. I mean, like you said, the match with MVP was his worst match. I mean, I, my favorite match in that tournament was him and Moth. Your favorite match in that tournament was him and uh, Takahashi. Um, we talked about like without him, if you take him out and throw in, you know, some other guy, this tournament we already hated just crumbles. Goes to WWA inception level. Yeah, it would have been very, very bad without Yano. Like yeah. there and been... I think that's why he doesn't make my list. Is both times we tried to do this episode, is I probably like have blacked out that tournament. It was just bad and boring. He has a great war. Yeah. That's all I got. Dan, are you ready to give me your number eight? Number eight from the King of the Ring 1993. Bret Hart. All right, give it to me. Um, this is Bret Hart's tournament. Um, it's designed to make Bret Hart look great, and it does that. I mean, he wrestles Razor Ramon, he wrestles Mr. Perfect, and he wrestles Bam Bam Bigelow. And outside of some shenanigans in the finals against Bam Bam, Bam Bigelow, I think it's like perfect storytelling and perfect wrestling from Bret Hart. Everything he does, all the little touches. Um, the match with Mr. Perfect is great. I mean, I think Mr. Perfect's coming up on your list, um, but that's his match. I think it's a perfect match of the tournament. And I think that Bret Hart's the... I think he's the better part of it. They're both, they're both great, so it's really splitting hairs. But 
so many of these tournaments we do where like this guy's good except for if you ignore his second round match or oh if he didn't have to wrestle this guy where there's not a moment like that for Bret Hart which I think rises them up and then on top of that the booking is done in such a way to highlight Bret Hart so you have the storytelling of him you know having to face the fresh bam bam and overcoming the monster and you know getting the spotlight and I just think it really works and I'm not I'm never the high voter on Brett, but I think this is one of his best performances this night. Yeah, it is good matches throughout the night. Some, a couple of great ones, or at least the Bam Bam one one is really good. So, like, I can't blame you whatsoever for including him on here. I I wish I was more of a Brett guy than I am. I will say that. Oh, man. Danny, anything else you want to kind of talk about with Brett Hart? And King of Ring 93? No, it's just, um, I will say with, you know, the the way we're going about the show, watching old tournaments, a lot of these sacred cows, you know, a lot of these great matches and great performers don't always hold up. And this is one that does. Like, people people call up Bret Hart and Nineteen Ninety King of the Ring, and I just think if you want to go back and revisit it, you will not be disappointed. Especially if you are in a place where you, you like Bret Hart. You're getting the full Bret Hart experience, and... Yeah, I, I liked it. I actually might say I'm even down on Bret Hart. So him getting number eight probably means you're a Bret Hart fan. He's way higher on your list. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been fun going through these tournaments to be able to kind of actually contextualize them in the landscape of specifically tournaments. Like, feel not in the grand scheme of their careers or anything, just being able to say, hey, like, is this wrestler able to put together a quality tournament performance and be able to work through from first round to the last round. And that's something we talked about the first time we recorded this episode. I guess we kind of skipped over last time is it's, it's somewhat difficult to go back and rate guys because you'll look through the tournament of who we've had and like the list of terms of work, workers we have. You have, you know, we've had Arn Anderson. We've had Jujan Thunder Liger. Like we've had these great names that pop out to you, but I'm like, but we have to judge them on the tournaments we watched and what they've done in that night or those series of nights. Yeah, and there's so, folks that we've seen multiple yeah. times now as well. We're like, okay, how are they mixing it up? Are they mixing it up? Are they just kind of flat from tournament to tournament? Jeff Jarrett, not flat from tournament to tournament, let me tell you. All right, Dan, you ready for my number eight? Let's hear it. It's Chris Candido from the NWA Heavyweight Championship Tournament from November of 1994. I think this puts together a great tournament from beginning to start obviously given i ranked him at number eight but his matchup with al snow puts al snow to shame every single person that tells you al snow is a was a great wrestler was like the original indie darling if that is the case fans really did be having no taste back in 1994 because just work circles around that poor guy then I I am extremely high on the Dirty White Boy match. I think that match is so freaking good. I know there's not a lot of meat on that bone, but I think that is just such a lovely piece of professional wrestling. The turn the the finals with Tracy's mothers, one of his just all time rivals, and it's not the best finals in the sense that, like it does not feel like grandiose for a NWA title match, an NWA title tournament finale. 
doesn't feel like we're doing this big crowning of a new champion. You might have well told me it was in the middle of a card for the IWA Mid-South Championship and that Ian would be main eventing that show. I'd be like, yeah, that's the same match they would absolutely be putting on or something to that nature. It's still really good, though. Uh, they just have such great chemistry that regardless if they wrestle to the expectations of the setting, I think they still just deliver a quality matchup regardless of that. So, Candido had to place on my list where it was kind of the important question. I kind of landed on eight just because of some of the other folks that are going to be above them here. I have no strong issues with that. I mean, I was more down on that show than you were, if I recall. There were a lot of issues from technical issues to commentary to the crowd. And then on top of that, the matches. But Candido's great in all three of his matches. Um, I'm probably too pedantic, and I felt like the Dirty White Boy thing. Like, is that really a match even? It almost felt like an angle. Um, but it was it was amazing. So like, I it doesn't really matter what you call it or what it is. Um but Candido was great, and he did the title that Tyrus holds proud. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. Just give me your number seven. Number seven is, oh man, Yoshihisa Yamamoto. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. Okay. My number seven is Sammy Callahan. We're going to talk about him in a long time from now. Okay, goodness, goodness, goodness. Give me your number six, Dan. A Walter. Hey, we both have Walter at number six. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, that feels like a perfect place for him because he plays his role perfectly. It's just that this his role in this is the foil. His role is the big, bad, evil. So it's not as much as some maybe other 16 carats are about Walter. It's not as much about Walter. So he can't quite reach the heights that I think Sammy reached that I think other people in different tournaments reach, but um, I even like the go match more than you. Um, so you have him squashing Rico, and then it's not really a squash, but he he makes Mark Haskins look good, and then destroys him. And then that the main event is just such an amazing match, him and Sammy. I just can't say enough good things about it. But yeah, I had I had Walter was on my list, like it was guaranteed, and he just didn't make the top half. Like it's. It was almost hard to put him this low, but that's just where I had to slot him. We watched some good tournaments. Yeah. Some great performances. So it's hard to crack that that shell here. And like you said, Walter is the shadow over 16 carat 2011. He is the, the item, the thing, the boss at the end for Sammy Callahan. And it's like, hey, he's Bowser. Great. Amazing. Bowser's great. You're, you're playing as Mario. You're fucking, you're, you're wanting to get to the end of that journey. So, yeah, I, he's he's great throughout it. I think the Haskins match is better than you would expect. The Rico match is maybe my, the only match in the first round that really feels like it's establishing a tone. And that first round, as much as I do like the some of the other matches in that first round. That's the one that's like, oh, that's what we're setting up. Walter is the monster here. He is the looming presence. He is 
going for it one more time. Who is going to be able to take that throne from him? Where the other matches don't quite feel that way, but eventually I think by the end of this, like, okay, yes, we've fully bought into what we're going for here. So, yeah, I'm with Ian Walter at number six. All right, my number five, Hans Niemann. Um, this was like the big surprise for me. It was in the uh, Rings Mega Battle Tournament 1994. I wasn't super familiar with Hans, and he, along as, uh, along with Yamamoto, won me over. They were the two clear guys in this tournament. I mean, Akira Maeda and Volkan were the E, the 1A and the 1B, like the superstars in the tournament. But Hans got himself over as a monster, and he's the only guy, I think, that wrestled in the first round that made it to the semis, if I recall correctly. Um, so he has the most number of matches. He has a match uh, on all, all, all four rounds, and I don't think he has a bad one. I think they're all great. And like Walter, I think he gets across as a monster, like as a killer when he needs to, and... I wasn't as like I wasn't as familiar with rings and this this like I fell in love with him. Like he's I've I've watched more of him since then and it doesn't all make this up to this height, but he has a lot of good stuff and I don't think I ever would have dove back in the rings if it wasn't for the show in this tournament. Um his match with Yamamoto, I feel like we'll talk about probably when we talk about Yamamoto and Sam's list, but it's amazing. And yeah, I think the rings tournament is something people should check out. If it's at all something you're interested in, I think you should check it out. And there's some real standout guys. Yeah. The more I think about the rings tournament, I feel like I underrated it. <laughs> like I looked at the lineup and what we saw. So I was like, Oh man, there were some real doozies in there. And Oz is like no small part of that. I am fairly glad we did get uh, Hans versus Dick Frisch. Just because Dick is essentially what Hans was trying to be. Yeah, it kind of felt like, yeah, like he kind of, like he, like that match decided who the real killer was. You know what I mean? Like who the real monster was. Yeah. It was essentially like, okay, if you beat me, you're taking my part in this promotion. Like my role here is no longer mine if you beat me. Uh, and that's always fun. That's always fun when you've got fight, folks fighting, not just for the packing order, but. When there's clearly a defined place in the roster for you, it's like, okay, if you kick my ass, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Not be here, I guess. I mean, this is getting in the nitty gritty and doing the fantasy booking thing I do, but I really think if Yamamoto or Hans, if either one of those guys defeats Maeda or Han, Volkan, you know, and makes it to the final, I think we probably do rate that tournament way higher. It's just we were both invested in those two wrestlers, and then they both lost before you know and didn't make it to the end and i think that kind of brought it down a tiny bit yeah i think you're probably correct there huh we just like a good underdog story there dan we needed that we deserved that we didn't get it oh man dan 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 i think it's apropos that my number five Yoshihisa Yamamoto. Perfect. So now we get to talk about the the Hans match. Like I'll let you get into it first, just because you were kind of leaning in that direction. 
Um, well, as much as I like Han's story, I do think that Yamamoto has a clear underdog story he's working throughout the tournament. Um, from his first match uh, against Grom Zaza, who is amazing, and a Silver Fox. Uh, and then he faces, like, what, old man Chris Dolman. Um, and then he faces the big boss, Akira Maeda, and he loses. But that match is probably a match of tournament. And then, as, I mean, it's close because I do love Hans versus Yamamoto. And, like, it's like if e- neither of them were able to get their final spotlight, I was glad that they got to wrestle for a third-place match, which almost felt like, you know, like, this is the real first place. This is, like, you know, in first place in my heart match. Yes, very much so. Yeah, so. where at this point, like, once Hans beat Yamamoto, I almost didn't care about Volkan versus Kira Maeda, which, again, is me watching in 2023. Like, those cr- the crowd cared a great deal about Volkan versus Kira Maeda. That was probably the right business move. But from my perspective, like, I was all about Hans and I'm about Yamamoto. And I don't think there's a spot you could have listed either of these guys that I would have thought was crazy. Yeah, I, I think... Both of them put in stellar performances. I think I gravitated more towards the underdog nature of Yamamoto. I think the finishes to his matches left a little bit to be desired at times, especially for his second and third round matches. But at the same time, it's like, okay, we're getting somewhere. We're getting to a place like the matches themselves are so good, even if the finishes are a little weird. But we're getting somewhere. The story that we're telling of him being the underdog and him maybe not having the firepower of some of these other performers, these other fighters, frankly, in the tournament and having to deal with that. And that's what made the Hans match so gratifying is because um, Meta and Volkan are great. They have a really a good finals. I think that's a strong finals to the tournament even if it doesn't feel as satisfying they don't have much of much arc to the tournaments because they are who they are they are known quantities the known quantities are they are the two best pro wrestlers or fighters in the tournament in the promotion maybe just in japan so they don't have to do a lot of overcoming of odds. They don't have to do a lot of proving their matches don't need to really get certain aspects of them over. Their history has done that already. They also both enter the tournament in the third round. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's the reason it's like, okay, yeah, they, yeah. they don't need an arc. They, they don't need to prove anything. They've done all the proving that they need to do. Thus, we're going to put them in so late in the tournament. And if you haven't listened to the episode, Go do that, I I suppose, first and foremost. Second of all, it the way they do the buys is very weird, where they have different buys for each round, essentially, up until we get, frankly, to uh, the semi-fi- semifinal. So through one, first round, second round, third round, new folks are being introduced to the tournament throughout, which is just very odd and doesn't make a ton of sense. But also, they did it, so whatever yeah there's some tournaments where i'm like hey if you can just pop it on you don't need to know anything the rings one you might want to pull up cage match and look and see how they do it and you know because it explains it but like it is it's confusing we're like oh here's all these people 
And I was like, okay, why is this tournament? Why is this person fighting this person? Where is this a non-tournament match? Where did they come from? It's very, very odd. But you know, whatever. And like Hans gets to start his journey round one. Yamato starts in round two. I still don't quite understand why he's in round two. What he did to Especially deserve with the way he is portrayed the rest of the tournament. Exactly. Exactly. I don't get it, Dan. I'm sure there's a reason other tournament wise or reason performance wise, but just watching, it's like, why he's, he shouldn't be like this high of ranking to deserve a buy. What are we doing? But he fights, he struggles. He, the, the main match is so freaking good. I love it very dearly. One of the best, the best match of the tournament. Uh, now that I, I, I'm thinking about it, uh, in the Hans match, a very close second. So I just felt like very weird to not include him on my list. It's like, okay, yeah, he had two of the best matches of this tournament. Two of the best matches I think we've done on this show, quite frankly. So there we go. I have Yoshihisa Yamamoto, number five on my list. All right, my number four is the great Sasuke from the Super J Cup. Same. Oh, that's awesome. When I talk about the the you know the sacred cows or the the matches not the, the tournament's not holding up, I'm mostly talking about the Super J Cup. You should not go back and rewatch this one. What you should do is you should watch Sasuke's three matches, and that's it. And it does what the tournament you know. One of the things the tournament was supposed to do, I mean, it was supposed to put over Chris Benoit and Wild Pegasus, and we're going to ignore that. But it was to take this indie guy, the great Sasuke, and kind of like sign a, shine a spotlight on him. And it did it. His first match is against uh, El Samurai. And in most tournaments we covered, that would be the match of the tournament. But then his semifinal against Liger is an all-timer. I know that contemporary times, it was real high in the final people. Dave gave uh, Benoit and Sasuke five. But from my 2023 eyes, I mean, Sasuke Liger is five stars, and it was a perfect match, and it was great. And I almost wish that was the finals, and it was the end, Sasuke coming out on top. Because after that, even though the Benoit-Sasuke match is good, it just can't hold up to what we just saw. Um, all those reckless high spots work. I mean, with Sasuke, sometimes you know you don't know what you're going to get. Is he going to hit? Is he going to miss? He hits all night long. Um, and the one time he doesn't, there's dickish Liger there to clap. And just make it like, you know, an all time spot that like sticks out in your head. Um, Sasuke slipping off the ropes and Liger clapping. And this is, I mean, maybe it's not the beginning, but this is what I think it was the beginning of like first time you get to see like Liger really being a dick, really being working from top, like treating Sasuke like he is lesser than him. And it works. And then Sasuke overcomes the odds and gets to the finals. And it's just, it, it is what the tournament is held up to. Like if you only watch those matches you'll think oh people are right about super jacob the rest of the show is actually really really terrible but <laughs> sasuke is great yeah i think i'm with you pretty much every step of the way like this is a match that features too many ricky fuji matches let me tell you gato not good here people in 2015 2012 Felt like they wanted to tell you, you know, Gato's actually good and has always been good. Not the case. Not the case. He may have turned into eventually a Dick Togo light. 
but it took time. It was not off the jump. You have to trust me there. Those people are rose-colored glasses, maybe? I have no idea. I can't really put my finger on it, what they saw in them. But it wasn't good. And then, like, we waste matches like the Masayoshi and Mategi match versus El Samurai. El Samurai, he's so fucking good. Like, for a brief period of time, I do feel like he was one of the best wrestlers of all time. Like, one of the best peaks there is in wrestling. It's not long, but, like, hey, it's one of the best peaks to me. I remember talking about in that show that I rewatched that Motegi match because I kind of wanted to give worker of the show to Samurai because he was so good in the Sasuke match. That I was like, you know what, let me go against the grain and see if I can stretch it. Like, I can't. That match's not good enough. Like, El Samurai's great in it, but that's not great. Yeah. Um, you have, I know what you're going to next. What would you do if you brought in Casas? You got to put him against Ricky Fuji for five you minutes. You got to put him against Ricky Fuji. And you got to have him lose. Put those those shoulders to the net, brother. I'm so mad about Super J Cup 94 all over again. But Sasuke's so good in this tournament. Like, Sasuke just gets to have good matches from beginning to end, it feels like. Uh, everyone else, no thank you. They don't get the opportunity. Whatever, I guess. <laughs> um, Like, just, hey, yeah, gets to go against El Samurai. Amazing match. Liger match. One of just it's incredible just to like hey i heard people say yeah it's a little it doesn't really hold up it's a little overrated in 2023 eyes or 22 eyes whenever i saw the reviews from i think you're mad like bonkers just losing it that match rules everything about just fucking whips butt and it just feels like the kind of the perfect story for sasuke here in this tournament Finals is kind of a nothing burger, but what are you going to do with Benoit, I guess? But Yeah, I mean, that Benoit stuff's always tricky, but it's funny because this is almost, and like it reflects it in our grades, It's we're almost talking about the other New Japan tournament. With like, without Sasuke, this tournament's not what it is, yeah, a 2.5. Without Yano, the other tournament's not a 1.5. You know, they both of these tournaments have one guy caring so much. Which might sound disrespectful because, I mean, there's so many names on the show. It's just they don't do anything interesting. I mean, Takamichinoku, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Otani, Casas, um, like just a who's who of super of light heavyweights, and they do nothing. I don't know if it's the combination of talents on this show, effort level, just chemistry between folks, but. This is off topic. Now, you just watched. Did I see you tweet about a, a super dolphin match? Yes. That you like? Because I remember, I think Joseph started rewatching them, but I watched this at the time and it soured me on him. I wanted nothing to do with them. And I like, I liked his match here. Yeah. With Otani. But I get it. I get it. I like, I, I think I like Delphin. I haven't seen a ton of them yet, but I think I like him. I don't think he's a greatest wrestler ever candidate. I think Sasuke is a greatest wrestler ever candidate. Boy, I think it is weird that there are folks that are saying, oh, yeah, probably not. Like, probably not in consideration. I don't get it. 
there are folks and those same folks will come back and say, yeah, more of a Hayabusa guy. And it just oh. is mind boggling to me. I cannot fathom that person existing. And yet I see them. If you want to watch a music video of a match, give me Hayabusa. But if you have to sit down and watch whole matches of him, I don't know why you would do that to yourself. I think in both cases, I want to watch Sasuke. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Sasuke, it's not like Sasuke is lacking high spots. Yeah, Sasuke is one of the, like, the great bumpers as well. Just like, will completely eat shit, show ass, do cool stuff. And it's kind of the, for me, it's funny because I said about Brett, like I'm not a Bret Hart fan, like just because of the level other people are. And I find his personality in, so irritating. But so it's like he was almost like working uphill to make me like him. Where like. Maybe you could say Sasuke was like the, the opposite where I came in ready to love him and he still exceeded my expectations. Or I knew I liked Sasuke and I was ready to like like his performances and he was even better than I thought he would be. Ah, oh, man. So, Sasuke. Number four in both of our lists. Yeah. Alright, number three I know you don't have. My number three is Volano 4. Um, I, I do have him. You do have him? I, we're not going to talk about him yet. Oh my god. It's Proven the no memory thing right. I did not remember you having them this high. All right. Uh, my number three, which you might have higher, Necro Butcher. I do. I, but we can talk about him because he's my number two. There we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, why don't you go ahead and start us off with the Necro Talk? Uh, tournament of Death 3 is our first tournament. It was, for both of us, a surprising tournament, I would say. It was not something that we were expecting much of. It was sort of something like, okay. We're just getting the format down. Let's figure out what this is going to look like, feel like. And then it ended up being really freaking good. And in large part to the performances Necro Butcher was bringing from front to back. You've got the Green Phantom match, which is, in my book, 2004, a Hoot of the Year contender. It's just a blast of a match. They understand how to make it just a fun first-round match not using all of your big bumps, your big spots, but yet having enough of like weird weapon choices, just fun spots that are a little, a little out there, like the skateboard spot that I dig where green phantom tries to essentially grind on top of Necro's back with a, a uh, thumbtack laddened skateboard. And I think that's sick as heck. It's just a fun bout. It's just a fun bout. And then he gets to go out later in the tournament. I really like the Nick Cage match. I don't think it's as good, but I think it's just a, another really solid match of two of the best deathmatch wrestlers of this era. I might take that back slightly. Necro, one of the best, the best deathmatch wrestler, probably the best brawler of this era, and Nick Gage, who is sort of more of a cult figure in my eyes still. Maybe my viewing will change that. I'd be like, oh, yeah, Nick Gage, one of the best at doing it. But for now, it's just like, okay, Nick Gage is a, he's a whole vibe. Like, he brings a gravitas to him in this setting still, even just the second round. And then he gets to have the finals. And I think a finals with pretty much any other of these wrestlers in this tournament when NFL is good. So that's kind of a, my rundown of wife of a necro butcher in term of death three. No, I agree with everything you said. Um, 
I don't know that we were reviewing it as a joke, but it was very much a we we got to start off with a smaller tournament and, you know, save all our big guns. Like, you know, and maybe even like it's a term of death. There'll be stuff stuff so funny that we can like rip on them and, and riff from that. And instead, for a long time, and this was the gold standard of tournaments for us, like I now have put I think I, I like the gold care 2011 16 carat better. But I have no problem with someone saying they like Tournament of Death 3 better, and that sounds so crazy. <laughs> but it was – the whole show was fun to watch, which I think Necro also – somehow I give him points for that. Like, because, like, I'm so happy for all these guys that this whole show went off as well as it did. And – but getting back to Necro, I mean, he is the best worker on this show. And I I like Gage. I think I like Gage a little more than you. I get what you're saying about charisma and cult figure. And I think this is before his peak, I think – he gets better. I post this, but he's already great. But Necro brings out the best in them. Like everything Necro hit looks like it hurts. It probably does. What brings Gage bring it even more? Um, the wife beater Necro butcher final isn't a whole lot, but it's again Necro, you know, killing himself and killing opponent. And it has the thing. A lot of tournament death finals, I think, are just a big spot. They're just a big finale, which I mean works. I mean this was this was great. I mean. Necro's one of those guys who, for certain people, they hold him up as one of the best ever. And then for me, every time I review something, it's like, he really is. Like, there's, it's not just when he was doing his stuff against, you know, when he was in Ring of Honor or when he had his matches with Loki or Samoa Joe in IWA Mid-South. It's like, even when he's in a tournament like this against Deathmatch workers, he is elevating them all and elevating the whole show. And this is a man who I follow on Facebook, and I absolutely despise him as a human. And I'm still saying all these glowing things about him. Um, I will say a quick Nick Gage story, though. When he had his AIW run, like just like post-prison when he first came back, he came out and did nothing except throw a chair to the ring. And the girl that I brought with me hid behind me and held me tight. Because Nick Gage, is, he's, a, he's good at being scary. I'll, I'll have to give him that. Yeah, he's got that down with science. All right, I, I have nothing more to add to Necroprojet other than like I think without him in Tournament of Death three, I don't know if we would have made it to that seventeen episodes. That's crazy to say, but I think I totally agree because I think the se- the second episode was Super, Super Jacob, right? Yeah. Yes. So if we started with that, that could have broke us. Like it wasn't a great show, <laughs> and then like so for a long time, I think our episodes were like searching for the next Tournament of Death three. It's part of the reason I feel like, one, to start chasing wrestling, and two, because of that sh- episode, we pick more off-the-wall choices when we can. Because it's like, I want to find another Tournament of Death 3. Yeah, and we are going to be watching Tournament of Death 4. I will say spoilers, it does not make me feel the same things. Tournament of Death oh, 3. I'm going to hold everything back because I have thoughts, but we got to wait till the episode. All right. Here we go. My number two. It's now time to talk about Volano 4. Dan, we both feel great things about Volano 4. Yes. In AAA's related Daily Morte, Thurnium, he is pushing 60. He is not in the greatest shape of his life. He is peak male performance still, though. And he puts on three just absolute home dingers throughout this tournament. A tournament where the loser 
ultimate loser has to unmask. It is a tournament where it's essentially a loser's bracket. Losers advance. And the law for you would think this would end up being like, okay, yeah, it's the biggest losers tournament. Whatever. Who could care? I care. Everyone watching cared. The fans cared. Volano 4 cared. Volano 4 cared. And while I am not the biggest fan of the finals of this tournament compared to some other folks who are over the moon for this one, I did feel like it was a proper finale to what we had seen so far. And it felt like the opponent's that he was going through felt like a progression of, I don't know if progression of eras makes the most sense, but almost somewhat relevancy to some degree, starting off with LA park, then moving down to psycho clown, sort of more your current iteration of triple a slash maybe aging out slightly. Uh, he 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 might end up being. I'm going. Oh yeah, he's younger than Pentagon Junior, who he faces next. But in the grand scheme, it feels like okay, he's more of a cemented presence in AAA at this main event level than Pentagon Junior, who does not quite feel like I I did not feel like he had cemented himself as that main event level star in AAA until this tournament. It's like oh, he is comes off as one of the biggest dudes around. That makes complete sense. And he just has these bloody brawls each time. Old man fighting. Hunters that kick. They're just rock solid. Just look like he's blasting folks' faces off. He just gets it throughout this tournament. And it's just so. You feel like the man's desperate. For this win. To feel like, okay. I'm in a hole. And I will. Fight my way out. I will scratch. I will claw. So that I am not at risk. That my. Essentially my career is not done. I'm going to. I'm literally fight, fighting to fight another day. Um, and yeah. It's just an incredible performance. Like. One of the best we've seen. And probably will end up. Remaining one of the best we've seen. Dan. What are your. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean. I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, I think desperation is the right word. He so perfectly displays the desperation. Um, every match, like you said, like it's so fun to like to go from Sasuke, where like all those high spots, where like the high spots is like the six-year-old man getting busted open in every round, um, <laughs> punching, like I said, just punching and kicking, and even like as he's going for pins, like punching the guy's head before he pins him, or like, like just the kickouts just seem like. He's gasping because like he doesn't want this to be the end. And it's clear that Volano 4, the worker, knew this was, if not the, like one of the last times he'll be in the spotlight. And definitely the last time he'll be the only person, like the biggest spotlight will be on him. And he he came and he worked hard and he killed it. Um, I prefer the final to the Psycho Clown match, like unlike you. But I will say that I think it's almost like a cheat code. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it's like um, when you're watching any of the new Star Wars stuff, like you hear the music and it's like, Okay, I'm already there. I love it. Because if you're a Star Wars fan, you already love it. So like Lucha, a Lucha mask match at Triple A or Triple Mania or any big setting, you know, an anniversario show, it has the big theatrics, it has the unmasking, it has the tears. And I don't know if it's cheap. I don't know if it's earned. 
it works on me every time. The post-match emotion gets me in all the big mass matches. Like I fall for it hook, line, and sinker, and I'm sitting there tearing up for Volano for a guy I had very few thoughts about before this tournament. All right, Dan. Number two is Necro for you, correct? Yes. Okay. So are you ready to dish out your number one? My number one, which still cracks me up that I'm on a podcast with Sam, and I'm the Sammy Callahan guy. <laughs> like, I don't know how you did it, but you did it, Sam. You, you had to search Twitter. You found somebody that would talk more about Sammy than you. I think his 2011 16-carat tournament is perfect. I don't know that I'll see. I don't know. I think we do this list 17 more shows from now. I'm pretty confident he'll be my number one. I, I mean, I just don't see how you're going to top it. I love... I mean, I love him in the Tommy and match in the first round. Um, I even like the Sasaki match in the second round. And then you don't like the David Richard match, which I think was a great match. It was just like almost two mirror images of like pent up balls of energy just ramming into each other. And then it all comes down to the Walter match where, like I said, we talked about Walter earlier where he is the big bad. He is the monster. He is the crazy heel you can't get over. I mean, WXW is his territory. And Sammy Callahan through his like grit and again, desperation. Like there's a lot of desperation in this tournament from him too, just like Volano Four has won the fans over. And I know that you're not a crowd guy as much as me, but the crowd is 110% behind Sammy. Like, like you almost you don't get in crowds nowadays. Just they're chanting for him. I mean, signs are popping up that they had to have made like post, you know, first round. Like they just saw him and they just fell in love with him, so they just making signs. There's the spot where the, the Spider-Man spot, you know, where the fans literally carry him back to the ring so he doesn't get counted out because the evil Walter doesn't care if he wants to be counted out. He doesn't care about anything. He's just a monster. And Sammy comes out ahead. And it just, like I said, we, we both love tournaments. That's why we did this. And that is such a good tournament story. The underdog against the big beast monster coming out ahead. The fans love it. I love it. It's just, I mean, it's just perfect. I mean, I don't think I gave this show five, but I just... I enjoyed so much of it, and there's there is some dead weight in the show, but nothing to do with Sammy was dead weight. Everything he did was amazing. Yeah, and Sammy is now like it might not be a five star tournament, but for you, this is a five star performance, a five star yeah. run. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I can't blame you. I think as far as like an arc. A lot of the tournaments we've watched, and almost in most tournaments and most wrestling shows, the arc is sullied. And that's just that's the nature of wrestling that we don't get good things always when they're supposed to happen. And with tournaments, it is wonderful because you can get that microcosm of, okay, all you all these bookers need to do is do it right four times in a row or three times in a row or what have you, and you got yourself a winning formula. And a lot of times they still can't even do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But they, but they do it here. Yeah. But like they don't have to do it over months. They've got a much better shot. They've got all the talent they need. They just need to let it, let it rip over the course of a few nights. And they were to capture that magic in a bottle here with Sammy. Now, where did you have Sammy at? On I, had, list again? I had seen it at seven. Oof, I can't. I just can't ever see him put him that low. I mean, I. I mean, even like he's all fire and all offense in this, and somehow 
all the spots that pop in my head are Sammy selling. Like his selling is other world in this tournament. And I've liked Sammy Callahan, but I never consider myself like a Sammy guy. And I would. Oh, 100%. I am. I'm I'm at the altar of Sammy Callahan. I don't know what fat Sammy's doing in impact, but I'm sure I love it. And it's great. No, I'm positive. You wouldn't. I'm positive. I would. (laughs) I refuse to engage with impact. Sammy can't do it. Can't do it. All right. My number one. Is. Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig from King of the Ring, 1993. To me, this is, well, obviously, this is the best run of anyone in any tournament that we've watched so far. He is, and the a important indicator with him in this tournament is because there is a preamble to this tournament where folks are wrestling to enter the tournament. It doesn't make a lot of sense period it is very reminiscent of folks qualifying for the royal rumble and things of that nature where okay why do three wrestlers have to qualify and 27 don't have to do jack all to get in that's just the way it is sometimes folks that's just the way it ends but he gets to have this series with doing the clown that i think is just real real tight real good real strong and it's just like quality wrestling for a few matches. The Anno Dan is definitely lower on it than I am, which thinks, oh, this is a real, a real treat, real charming matches between two wrestlers that know what they're doing. And it's like, okay, like perfect's fighting his way into this. Great juxtaposition against a guy like Bret Hart, who in theory is wrestling his way onto the show. By like all the stuff he's done previous, but doesn't feel like he's really earned it in the same way compared to Kurt Hennig, who just has this run. And not only that, like Bret Hart, Razor Ramon is a a tough out, let's say, for Bret Hart, but he's not Mister Hughes. He's not this big, massive, burly man that he's got to go run through. And that's oh, really that, Hughes, that Hughes match was really good. It's really good. It's just a really good match. And Hennig's just knows how to work against all body types. Works against all type of, especially in the setting of the WWF. It's like, okay, you give me kind of just like the Americanized, big to the rafter, play to the cheap steeds wrestling. I will make that work 100%. And he does that with his huge match. And then he gets to go against his career rival, essentially. In Bret Hart. Uh, and this this stage of his career rival. In Bret Hart. The person he's maybe most associated with. Kind of in retrospect now. It is. Such a great match. It is so incredible. And I think it's almost important that he. Loses this one. So that, and that's kind of like. What helps seals the deal a little bit for me. Is that. When I can feel. St- this good about a wrestler's performance in defeat that speaks volumes for it. He did not need to beat Bret Hart to feel like his story was complete or or slash his story in this tournament was complete. Maybe he has more to finish outside of this tournament, but here like this is where it needed to end for him for Bret Hart. This is his tournament. 
this is mostly his story, but for me, it's still the current headache show as far as, okay, his journey ended, but we'll see his, what, where that goes from here. Um, but I, I never felt like down about that. I never like, oh, I wish we had another Mr. Perfect match. But like, oh no, we, we got what we needed to get here. I feel very confident of what was delivered and made that work just through and through. And that's kind of why I just felt like, okay, none of these other wrestlers really made me feel that way. They had to like make it to the finals essentially to to earn their way onto these this list or slash get this far up this list. Like even like a Yamamoto who doesn't make the finals, he gets a third place match, which is essentially his finals. But everyone else, like no one else on this list that I have, my top ten, didn't make the finals. So that's why current headache was my number one. I would just like to say this is a totally unfair unfair comparison, but with the doing stuff, it makes me think of like someone going to Costco and be like, look up, man, I got all this barbecue sauce for this price. <laughs> I'm like, that's fine. I like it. That's too much. Oh, man. Like, let, let me tell you. You love When Costco? I go to Costco, <laughs> I come home and I tell my wife, Siobhan, look at all this truffle hot sauce I bought. They, <laughs> well, when like, you, go to, we- when you go to Wegmans, this will run you up. Eight dollars, eight nine dollars a bottle. Guess what? Guess what I got for? Guess what I got it for? I got it. I got it for fifteen for two. That's seven fifty a bottle. I, I think it's actually nine, uh, nine ten dollars at Wegmans. Sorry, it was a good deal. I I think that it's almost the doing stuff. Almost, but not that they're bad matches. They just were. They just didn't do anything for me. So. It almost weighs him down. It almost brings his average down because once you mention the Mister Hughes match, I'm like that match is so good, and then the perfect uh, the, the heart match is so good, and I do agree that he's able. They're able to tell tell him Mister Perfect story without him having to go to the finals. They do a, a very very good job of that. Yeah. So he separates that, that, himself. This, from is, the this pack. is the guy that I he popped in my top ten because of your defense of him last time. I remember thinking like, you know what, Sam's right. I hate to say it. Sam's right. It's perfect. <laughs> he wrestled Doink for an hour and 42 minutes, and a lot of it was okay. So let's give him a 10 spot. Oh, man. The Doink matches are like total 20 minutes across three separate matches. Oh, you know what? Get it together. Uh, also, I don't remember this, but didn't like Crush and Shawn Michaels have a draw too? Why weren't there three of those matches? <laughs> uh, that's such a good question, Dan. I don't have an answer for you. Okay. They needed to give you more doink. The more two doinks are there in existence storyline. And they, apparently they can only happen across three separate matches with Mr. Perfect. Don't you agree? Uh, it's got to be. It's got to be. Um, I'm, I'm pulling up the match list. And it is funny that you said, like, some guys have to wrestle. But, like, Crush has to wrestle Shawn Michaels. And Mr. Hughes has to wrestle Carmala. But then some people get to wrestle, like, Ramones against El Matador. That seems like kind of a layup, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. This is a. Oh, but yeah. This was. This show was was okay too. I like the show, and I like Mr. Perfect on it. I have no. I don't think he his performance resonated with me as much, but it's like I still think he's top ten. So I obviously still liked everything he did. This King of the Ring nineteen ninety three is like the platonic idea of a good tournament to me. Yes. Yes. It's just like oh, perfect. Like there's some there's some some great stuff, lots of good stuff, but also. Not a ton outside of the perfect stuff that really sticks in my craw. 
It's like, oh, I'll take I love it, though. what you said earlier about them not having to get it right long term. But it's like, man, isn't it great to watch the King of the Ring 1993? And it's like they didn't screw up too bad. Like, I don't I'm not disappointed at all. Like, that's just so great. So much wrestling is why'd they do that? Why'd they do that? And that you don't have that in a lot of these tournaments. Yeah, I, some of them. Yeah, I don't care that Bret Hart about Bret Hart, I guess, is the, the wonderful thing here. It's just like, <laughs> you know what? He wins. Whatever. Do not care. I am not emotionally invested in that win whatsoever. The angle stuff that happens there. It's like, don't care. It's a good match. It's a real good match. But also I'm like, I don't know. Like if I'm not invested into the, the person winning the whole thing, that's the knock against the tournament right there. And I said, I don't know again, if I would have been like super invested for somehow that Mr. Perfect was in that position. Who knows? Dan, do you want to run through your list one more time for the people at home? Yeah. Um, number 10, Mr. Perfect. Number 9, Psycho Clown. Number 8, Bret Hart. Number 7, Yoshihisa Yamamoto. Number 6, Walter. Number 5, Hans Neiman. Number 4, The Great Sasuke. Number 3, Valano 4. Number 2, Necro Butcher. Number 1, Sammy Callahan. All right. And for my list, number 10 was Trevor Lee and Andrew Everett. Number 9 was Toriano. Number 8 was Chris Candido. Number seven was Sammy Callahan. Number six was Walter. Number five was Yoshihisa Yamamoto. Number four was Great Sasuke. Number three was Necro Butcher. Number two was Law Four. And number one was Mr. Perfect. Dan, when you go back through your list and you kind of look at it, is there anything standing out to you? Um, I mean, my biggest thing is, I was actually about to say, man, I hope if this doesn't get deleted and gets posted, that we make this like a thing we do, whether it's every 17 episode, which is a crazy number, and I like that idea. Or, you know, some some semblance of like that to kind of it's kind of good to dip back in and look back at these tournaments. And it's just been that, like, wrestling doesn't have to be hard. Like, you just tell good stories and you put good wrestlers with other good wrestlers. And it's great. It doesn't seem that hard when you say it. Apparently, it's very, very difficult if you run wrestling, professional wrestling companies, but. I mean, all the way down, like I said, from Sammy to Mr. Perfect, I would gladly watch any of these guys' tournament runs like, tonight. They all they all hold up as great. Um, which, it's funny because sometimes a lot of these tournaments do have stupid booking decisions and dead weight in them. So, like, at the end of the day, we'll look and we'll get something a 2.5 or a 2 or a 3. It's not, not as high. But when you look at just one individual guy's run, like I said, like, Sammy's run to me is 5. Like, if I just sit down and watch Sammy's matches, I'm giving it the 5. So... That's very interesting to me, and that's just it was, it was fun to look back on. Yeah, when I look at kind of my list, I'm like, all right, we've watched some good professional wrestling shows. But also, I'm like, man, we haven't watched a, a great one in a little bit. Oh, that did stick out when we had to re-record, and I'm like, it's done nothing to my list. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, what have we done the last three episodes, Dan? Get it together. It got, it's gotten a little off the rails, I'm not going to lie to you. We're going to have to start just like layering in the ones that we know are good. It's like, hey, the odds of this being bad, highly unlikely. We've seen it. We feel good about it. It's a little unfair because a deadly game is a tournament that does not feel defined by pro wrestling performances. See, that's that, that's tough because I yeah I do love that tournament. But I don't love any individual – like if you take any individual wrestler and just watch their run, 
it doesn't work. The the greatness is in the whole. It's a package deal. Yeah. The whole show, the commentary, the stories, the managers, all of it works together. Yeah, where everyone, every, a lot of the other tournaments were saying, okay, if you take this one wrestler out and replace them with someone just like bang on average, my goodness, that's such a worse tournament for it. And that tournament, a deadly game, is like, okay, it is all interconnected. It is just one piece of machinery. If you try to do anything here, you will bork it. Just a different different beast. We'll see if we'll have any more of those shows coming up, I guess, in that vein. Um, that kind of, that being JR's choice, kind of put us, because we were already watching WWE Inception at that point. So that puts us in kind of two Russo-rific shows where the wrestling is not important. I mean, you'll get different results there. But uh, back-to-back, which we weren't expecting. They did take us a little bit of a surprise. And 92 G1 Climax, I'm like, I feel really bad about. That was my recommendation. I screwed up. That's but like, me. who would have known, you know? That list of names looks so good. It's a good list. And like, you hear so many good things about the year prior, or it's just like, hey, this might be it. It was not. So we'll keep looking. Yep. I think we got some stuff lined up that could end up being pretty good. That could end up maybe shaking up this list. If I can find a tournament to knock out Trevor Lee and Andrew Everett, at least I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. All right, Dan. That's a wrap. Do you want to do any plugs? I mean, follow me on Twitter, Dan underscore Rice 88. Um, I will say that uh, Chris Zellner and uh, Phil Schneider and Phil Rippa just did a Exile on Bad Street. Uh, we didn't touch on it in this episode, but uh, as we're recording... Dean uh, Rasmussen passed away fairly recently, and they did a podcast tribute to him, and I just listened to it earlier today, and it's excellent. Everyone should go track it down. I think it's on the Between the Sheets feed. So, Yep, absolutely, absolutely. That is on my on my docket to listen to myself. Um, there we go. And if you're listening to this, I have also recently released an episode with J.R. Goldberg, the Desert Island Comp series, where we go through his Desert Island Comp. Give that a listen. And go follow the network at WDKWPN on Twitter. Listen to every episode that Quentin and Tim put out. It is a lovely podcast, and I think they just like are two of the best at discussing current state of wrestling, even without digging into the, the, the big guy uh, necessarily at times. So, there we go. Everyone, thank you all for listening. And Dan, just like, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks a lot, Sam. 